you can listen to The Front on your smart speaker every morning. To hear the latest episode, just say, play the news from The Australian. From the journalists of The Australian, here's What's on the Front. I'm Claire Harvey. It's Friday, February 17. Gas isn't going anywhere, according to Anthony Albanese. The PM won't commit to bans on new gas projects or increase the carbon price cap, nor will he impose a climate trigger on fossil fuels projects, despite strong pressure from the crossbench. Greens leader Adam Bant is adamant the transition to renewables must go faster. But Bant says he'll negotiate with Environment Minister Chris Bowen in good faith next week. The architect of Tasmania's voluntary assisted dying laws is pushing for medical students to be trained to help patients end their lives. MP Mike Gaffney feels GP shortages in the state are preventing the wider uptake of voluntary assisted dying and the reform could be happening across the country. In today's episode, what a huge development in UK politics tells us about the future of progressive causes and why Labor is celebrating the demise of Nicola Sturgeon. A progressive leader has fallen, Scotland's Nicola Sturgeon, and it could be a lucky break for the Labor Party. Two seemingly disparate issues, Scottish independence and transgender rights, brought Sturgeon undone. That leaves her Scottish National Party in fragments, and that's good news for Labor, which has seen its Scottish base eroded by the SNP and its charismatic leader. The person celebrating the most will be Keir Starmer, the leader of the British Labor Party. The SNP's domination of Westminster elections in Scotland has denied Labor a majority for nearly 15 years. If with Nicola Sturgeon gone, the SNP are not the power that they are. If they start losing seats, then Keir Starmer will be in number 10 because it will be Labour who picks them up. That's the Australian's Chief of Staff, Richard Ferguson. So how does the demise of a sparkling Scottish leader help Labour get to 10 Downing Street? The SNP's success under Nicola Sturgeon has been a huge block to Labour getting a majority in the House of Commons. So now that she's gone and the SNP no longer have her star power and she leaves a lot of damage with her, Labour are in a very good position to get a majority in the next election because we know that Rishi Sunak and the Tories are absolutely abysmal popularity with the public. In her 17-year political career, Nicola Sturgeon has been untouchable. She gave independence, the SNP's signature policy, its best shot. But she attracted a powerful opponent, author J.K. Rowling, a fellow Scot who was firmly against independence. And more recently, Rowling's been a vocal critic of Sturgeon's attempts to allow trans people to self-identify. Well, J.K. Rowling's always been a foreign in the sight of Scottish nationalists. J.K. Rowling was a big supporter of the British Labour Party. She was a big supporter, especially of Gordon Brown, of course, the first Scottish Prime Minister since Ramsay MacDonald. So she has very high links with the British Labour Party. People always forget this. J.K. Rowling is a lefty. She's a real lefty, but she's a Labour lefty. 
and she was very virulent against independence both during the referendum and afterwards. In fact, that was her main issue, was trying to stop independence and fighting against independence and fighting for the union. That was J.K. Rowling's big political issue until trans came along. So once again, it's these two cultural issues have kind of become tinged together and mixed up together. And J.K. Rowling is a classic example of that. She's always been a thorn in the side of Nicola Sturgeon. Um, Scotland's maybe not big enough for the both of them. As the views of those on the other side, what the Gender Recognition Bill seeks to do is simplify an existing process to make it less degrading, less traumatic, less invasive for people who want to legally change their gender. And I don't think that is a bad thing to do. So she set out, which was probably a very well-intentioned bill, but it was the most liberal kind of trans recognition bill imaginable. 16-year-olds can just say, I'm a man or I'm a woman, and they automatically have the rights of a man or a woman. It was a very, very liberal bill. It's probably even more liberal than, say, Victoria's regime here or the one being proposed in Queensland. That didn't cause her so much problems until the worst-case scenario happened, which is that a prison's Scotland put a convicted rapist in a woman's block because they said that they were now a woman, mainly through self-identification. This is a dangerous, violent sex offender, a double rapist once known as Adam Graham. And here is the same person now identifying as a woman, Isla Bryson, a predator who's been detained in a women's prison. I can confirm to Parliament that this prisoner will not be incarcerated at Corton Vale Women's Prison. And I hope that provides assurance to the public presiding officer, not least to the victims in this particular case. The prison story really brought home the difficulty in legislating rights for trans people. How do you protect everyone all at the same time? So the worst case scenario of what we know is the problem with the trans debate, which is these conflicting rights between trans people who are very vulnerable, being treated very badly in history, versus the need to have very strong single-sex spaces for women of biological sex. Sturgeon's trans rights bill wasn't just about domestic reform. For her, it became an issue of Scottish independence. The UK Parliament in Westminster vetoed the bill, and that was an unprecedented move. And it also blocked a new referendum on Scottish independence, something else Sturgeon was fighting hard for. So Sturgeon saw her two signature issues suddenly one and the same, how Scotland gets dudded in London. In a quarter of a century of devolved government in Scotland, no law passed by its parliament has been blocked by its UK counterpart. Until now, Scotland's gender recognition bill has been stopped in its tracks, prompting fury from Scotland's first minister. Nicola Sturgeon called it a full frontal attack on Scottish democracy. Then both of these issues, Claire, the denial of the second independence referendum and the very controversial trans reforms and the fallout of this convicted rapist, which she absolutely bungled in every way politically imaginable, really coalesced. And look, some people set that up as the culture war, but what the effect in Scotland was, Nicola Sturgeon is trying to start a fight over trans issues in order to try and G up momentum for independence. She's trying to say, look at what they're doing on this trans bill. London don't care about you. This is why we need independence. And people in Scotland just went, I don't care about trans issues. Transgender Scots are a 
absolutely minuscule to almost unseeable part of the population. So you're trying to use a culture war to try and get independence when we have the highest drug deaths in Europe. The hospital system, the waiting lists for A&E and the NHS are unfathomable. We talk about waiting list problems here in Australia. Go to Scotland and try and get into hospital. Talk to my granny Annie about trying to get into hospital. School standards are slipping. Crime is a real issue. Glasgow in particular is really suffering and she is from Glasgow. There's a lot of anger in Glasgow about the feeling that Edinburgh has been given a pot of money to basically do it up as the new capital of an independent Scotland. So do you think that notion of creating a wedge where the Tories uh, triggered independent feeling in Scotland could have worked if it hadn't been the trans issue? You know, if she'd done that on hospital reform or something? Yes, 1,010%, Claire. Absolutely right. She picked an issue which most people don't care about, which most people, if they do care about it, are deeply divided on. It was a huge political miscalculation. And then you have the issue of the convicted rapist kind of compounding that by showing it was a bad bill. It was an ill-thought-out, well-intentioned, but ill-thought-out bill with terrible consequences. And it didn't do anything. And what we have seen since that, for the first time, we have seen the SNP's poll ratings plummet. Stay with us after the break. Who can save the SNP? Hey, I'm Felicity Harley and I host Healthy-ish, where we chat to experts, influencers and people in the know from around the globe to arm you with the knowledge to make healthier decisions for your mind, body and soul. I think if we're going to be focusing on health, like sleep is probably the biggest component of that. I I think sleep is the cornerstone. Like choose the harder option because I've never woken up and gone, I regret that run that I went at 4am. I've never done that. Search for Healthy-ish and Extra Healthy-ish wherever you get your podcasts. Nicola Sturgeon leaves a massive hole in Scottish politics. She was the unquestioned leader of the Scottish Nationalist Party and of the independent movement. There has been no succession planning. All of the candidates who are lined up to replace her do not have her profile, her charisma, her political smarts. She, after Alex Salmond, turned the SNP into the third force in British politics, which is quite extraordinary from its history. And she's been a huge part of Scottish people's lives because not only through her massive election victories, but through her handling of the COVID-19 pandemic. We are entering stormy waters and I can't tell you yet when we will reach dry land. I can promise you that as your First Minister, I will do my utmost to lead us safely through. There's no doubt that difficult days do lie ahead. This crisis is reminding us just how fragile... The most likely emerging candidate is Kate Forbes, the 32-year-old finance minister. She's an evangelical Christian. Presiding officer, Liz Smith talks about uh, £3.5 billion. Can I suggest that she reads the resource spending review in the medium term... She's been very reluctant to say what her position is on the trans issue 
and which is quite unusual considering she's the second most senior person in the government. She's never particularly stated position on things like gay marriage, etc. And there are some people who feel in the SNP who are very progressive, like Nicola Sturgeon, that she's far too conservative. Look, there is a scenario where somebody takes over the SNP and turns out to be an absolute revelation. But nobody in that party appears to have the political skills that Nicola Sturgeon has. Nobody can hold that very fractious party together because it is a glob of people who are very socially conservative, people who are very socially progressive, being held together by one thing, which is independence, which has never looked farther away. So right now you would say that SNP will recede and the message will be, if you want to get rid of the Tories, the only answer is Labour. And that is what Keir Starmer will weaponise. He will say they have been a block for too long. They are a mess. They can't even run Scotland, never mind anything else. Vote for me and you will get rid of the Tories and I will be in charge. And that is the thing. Throughout Nicola Sturgeon's time, independence looked like it was so close, like it was a reality. It's never looked farther away. So what's the point of the SNP? Richard Ferguson is The Australian's Chief of Staff. Thanks for joining us. The Front is produced by Kristen Amiot and edited by Tiffany Dimack and Jasper Leake. Our multimedia editor is Leah Tamaglu and our music is by Jasper Leake. My name is Manny Karoudis and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts.